Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. We got to start off real early with with some housekeeping. The first one is as I got set up for the show and I got everything put together. And for those who, those of you who don't know, we record the show in uh, Apple's GarageBand. And every time in the past, Apple has pushed out an update to GarageBand. We've had some hiccups as we've tried to figure out what it is that Apple has done. Well, this week, Apple apparently pushed out an update to GarageBand. So this is our first time using this new version. It look, yeah, it looks to be fairly significant, at least what they've done. So as we're trying to find buttons and stuff like that, I don't know what's going to happen. Wow. You know, you're pulling back the curtain pretty far. I mean, and people already know we don't do pre-show prep. <laughs> we don't actually ever talk to each other. Um, there's no plan. And now you're admitting that we don't know our equipment. Way to go. We are the most professional podcasters out there. No, I'm sure there's even worse than us out there. Actually, I know that there is. I mean, there's the folks who do their recording on, like, the cell phone audio that it sounds like they're coming to you live from deep inside a can buried 500 feet below the Earth's surface. Also possible. You know, you talk about sound quality, and I, I freely admit I'm not an audiophile by mm -hmm. any stretch of the imagination. And I listened, because I listened to Mike Rose, The Way I Heard It podcast, which is 12 minutes long. Fabulous 12 minutes. He records life. in a studio, though. He records in a studio. But one of the podcasts, he couldn't, it was a storm or something that was going on in the San Francisco area, and he couldn't get to the studio to record the bumper. Mm -hmm. So he recorded it in his closet. And he waxed poetic about this microphone versus the microphone that was down at whatever studio he mm -hmm. records at and asked the fans, could you hear a difference? I have to tell you, it stuns me because I could actually hear a difference, but it was amazing. You know, and his sound quality is far and above a lot of podcasts I listen to. Yeah. And he talked about the first podcast he ever recorded was in basically like a closet that they had hung comforters up around to get the the right sound mm -hmm. and i just kind of you have get amazed by what that change does but listening to him wax poetic about a particular microphone makes you go don't use your cell phone guys <laughs> <laughs> i know it's convenient don't use your cell phone just don't well, the, the other bit of housekeeping news is what tends to happen, and we thought we were going to get away and, and not have this pop up, but as what tends to happen this year, you know, F1 takes their summer break late in the season, we tend to take ours a bit earlier. So next week, there will not be a show. Um, next week, this is probably going to happen. 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark. And we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to spend a, a quick weekend in Chicago. It's not too far away. Um, one thing to note, you know, if things to go bad or, or if things happen to go bad while we're there, while we're there, you might end up hearing this. Use of unnecessary violence in the apprehension of the Blues Brothers has been approved. <laughs> however i would hope that our experience in chicago has fewer car chases and wrecks and destruction and mass destruction i i i cannot guarantee that we will not be chased through a shopping mall 
I can guarantee that we will not be chased through a shopping mall. Okay. <laughs> you do that to my car, I will be very angry with you. Angry with you. However, but, but I hear there's some nice malls in Chicago, so you know. Um, however, we have made sure that the education of our offspring is very complete celebrating both ferris bueller's day off and the blues brothers yes he he has observed both now and is aware of what he is in store for oh my word (laughs) (laughs) yeah i just you know if he decides that we have to go to daily plaza that's gonna just throw a wrench in my whole plan the honorable richard j daily plaza yes all right moving forward so on to F1. There Which is not actually, going to Chicago, right? No, it, it, it's not. Although that could be very – well, you know, I think if F1 was going to go to that general locale, they'd actually end up in Wisconsin. Okay. They'd go to Road America, which is where IndyCar happens to race. Mm-hmm. Um, although I don't think it's a grade one track, but I, I don't we think they would – We know it's not. You did the research. True. There's like, what, one like grade – one track in the oh, there's two, Indianapolis and Austin are the right. two Grade One tracks. So yeah, they're not going to Road America. There has been some concern raised, and and it has not been as big this year, but there has been some concern raised about the quality of the racing, because while yes, everybody is excited over the fact that it is not just a Mercedes only championship at this point. The reality is, even though, yeah, Ferrari's adding some uh, differentiation to the lead and to the podiums, it's still in a situation where one of the two teams ends up in the lead of the race, and that's where the lead pretty much stays. We don't have a lot of passing for the leads. We don't have the leads changing. There is some passing that it is occurring deeper back in the field, which we have seen in previous years. But up at the front of the grid, you still have the same problem. You can't have close racing because the cars aren't designed for it. Right. They're so aero-dependent. Um, but this is something that you and I have discussed close to the limits here multiple weeks in a row about when we give the fans what they ask for, would they wind up not getting what they wanted? Yeah. You know, they wanted faster cars and part of the way to get faster cars was to make them more aero dependent, increased downforce, which means they can't pass because they can't pass in dirty air. The thing is, I'm not so sure that the fans wanted faster cars. The fans have said they want better racing. Right. And the answer that, uh, FOM, because at the time it was FOM, and the FIA came up with, and I think it was more FOM and probably Bernie that said, well, let's just make the cars faster. Because that'll make better racing. And several of the folks who know better about Formula One than we do, and there's there's a few of them. Like the, the, four the, or five, I'm the, sure. the list stretches off into volumes, but there are four. <laughs> there are a few of them. They all turned around and said, yeah, that's really not the issue here. And like you said, we've talked about it quite a bit. 
Well, they're going to be taking a look at it once again now, and, and they've started a project. Now, Ross Braun has turned around and said, this is not an overtaking working group. This is intended to take a greater look at the racing in general and, over, and, and improving the racing in general. So it should be, in theory, that means that whatever solutions are proposed are more than just, well, let's ban some arrow bits or change some arrow bits. This could also include tires. It could include the overall design of the car. And yes, it could include power. Interesting. I mean, I think that there's something great to be said about taking a holistic view as opposed to a reactionary view of what is going on. This isn't just about the fact that we increased the speed of the cars and made them more aero-dependent. It is not just about the order in which qualifying happens mm -hmm. or it's not about these single choices or even about the hybrid engine. They're not single choices and single bullets, silver bullets, to try to fix, quote, in giant air quotes, um, what is wrong with F1. It's like saying that if you bring back refueling, you're going to solve all of the problems. You're mm -hmm. not going to. Or that if you bring back refueling, you're going to allow the racers to, the drivers to race flat out which we saw very clearly that with refueling, you don't necessarily get racing flat out. So understanding what the ramifications are of each and every single decision in a holistic view. You know, I love this idea that, and I'm hoping that Ross is taking this, and if he's not, he's going to listen to our podcast and he's going to change his direction. Um, but I really hope that Ross is going to take this idea of there's no sacred cows here. There is nothing that's not on the table. Let's lay it all out and come out at the other end with a redesign from start to finish. And, it, you know, keep the best, get rid of the worst. And so qualifying that works, that nobody's complaining about, let's maybe keep that. <laughs> You know, let's let's do it the right way because we're not going to be looking for a silver bullet and we're not going to have to protect something just because. What I think, and, and, and I don't know, but what I think, if anything else, we will see out of Ross Braun based on his previous comments is that he this group will not propose any changes for next year or the year after that or the year after that. Ross has, has been fairly consistent of the fact that anything that they look to do, they should be looking with the idea of an implementation of three to five years out because it takes that long to truly examine the change and understand the change and implement that change. And that when Formula One does these knee-jerk reactions and or they just keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off until the last minute, they end up rolling out half-baked solutions like, oh, a change to qualifying that was pointless and didn't work and making things worse and not making things better. I think you're right. I think you're 100% right. Um, and that's why I say let's not look for a silver bullet. Let's look holistically and give the teams time to react to it. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be tomorrow. Yeah. And I think that that's another thing that um, – F1 has lost sight of in the Bernie era, towards the end of the Bernie era, is it was all about immediate fixes. 
You know, somebody got Bernie's ear and said, we need to fix this thing. And then the hammer came down. And that's not, that's focusing, and I I have had this commentary too, it's focusing short term, not long term. And I think Ross gives me the impression that he's in for the long game. And that's a... That's a motivator for long-term success. Yeah. When you stop trying to put out the fires singularly today and look at what is going to stop the fires from building or popping up three years from now, five years from now, and lay the groundwork the appropriate way, you have long-term success. Short-term gain often erodes long-term success. And that is my motivational speech for the day. Okay. Go Ross. <laughs> well, we've also talked in the last few weeks about how Sean Bratches and Formula One Group have been trying to attract or, or strengthen up what, what is perceived to be the true core and foundation of Formula One, and that is Europe, and bringing races back to Europe. Well, word has come out, and, and, and I wouldn't bet on this just yet. Uh, I, we have seen in the past stories like this pop up quite a bit. But word has come come up in the last week that the owners of the relatively new, it, it it's, was finished in 2008, but the relatively new Algarve International Circuit, which is located about 15 minutes from the Portuguese city of Portimao, has opened negotiations with Formula One to bring back the Portuguese Grand Prix. Now, the Portuguese Grand Prix was previously run at the Estoril Circuit, which, uh, and the last time that that event was held was in 96. They had 13 races between 84 and 96. But they are trying to get Formula One back. And again, the attitude that, that Sean Bratches is taking is... Anybody that they go to, the race has to be sustainable for them. And it has to be sustainable in a way that doesn't require a government to pour more and more and more money into it in order to keep the race. That it can actually build and become a driver for profit and economic development in that region. One of the things has, that has been talked about for or targeted as a potential for elimination in future race contracts <coughs> is the Bernie Eccleston 5% escalator clause every year. Ah, oh, fantastic. I'm in full support of that. That, the, from what I've been reading, that appears to be one of the drivers for several circuits and several cities to approach Formula One group and saying, hey, you know, th- this whole... Uh, hosting a race thing, we're kind of interested in that now. Nice. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. We'll keep an eye on it. Um, the venue does believe that it's ready to, to host F1. Uh, the circuit was completed in 2008. It's a 100-seat uh, circuit, uh, and the track is 2.9 miles long. So it's a decent length track. Interesting, interesting. I'm glad to see that he's looking for more ways to attract the European um, fan than just by unique facial hair. (laughs) The other scenario that Formula One is looking at, this is the other Bernie Eccleston sacred cow that they are targeting. And Bernie, I would say he's, 
he's rolling over in his grave, but he's not dead yet. He has got to be pissed to hear this story. The Formula One group, according to Chase Carey, is mapping out a way to offer its own over-the-top broadcast model where fans can pay for an in-depth service similar to Netflix but dedicated to Formula One content. Oh, how fantastic. And that noise you just heard was Bernie Eccleston's head exploding. Well, it's okay. It's protected by all of that bad hair. Um <laughs> Wow, how awesome would that be? I mean, to be able to go back and and relive historic moments, to get commentary from other places. I mean, all of the different ways they could do a Netflix-esque Formula One channel. Yeah. I mean, partner with Apple, guys. That's all I'm saying. Given the fact, and, and this is in the Bernie Eccleston years, but if you'll recall, going back to when uh, Apple first launched the App Store for the iPhone, well, actually it was pre-iPad, uh, mm -hmm. but when Apple first launched the App Store for the iPhone, one of the apps that was highlighted and demonstrated was the Formula One app. Right. And how you could do live driver tracking and all that stuff right there on the app. So based on that and knowing that that was in the Bernie era that that occurred, I can, I can only hope that they would, they would partner with Apple. I, I mean, I think that would be a phenomenal win for both sides. And something that our show would wholeheartedly support. Absolutely. Now, what Chase Carey has said, he's given us a little more information here. He says that over the top, or OTT as they call it, is a tremendously important opportunity. Now, it's going to vary market by market. It's clearly not going to be a one-size-fits-all. We were really a non-player in a digital platform. So whether it's free, pay, or digital, we want to make sure we're engaging with them all. We're actually ideally suited to a digital service because we have a wealth of data and information and such great history, so we have the ability to create unique packages. We're still figuring out for that fan who wants a deeper understanding of what's going on in the sport and what's going on on the track. We're spending a lot of time with a whiteboard defining what's the product, what is the experience, what is going to motivate the hardcore F1 fan around the world to pay. We haven't priced it yet, but let's say, for example, 10 bucks a month to access that package. Creating a subscription package for the strongest F1 fans is a tremendously important opportunity. Mm. Now, where the risk is, and, and this is why Bernie w was so against this type of a thing, is because of the broadcast model, because that is what he has built the fortunes of Formula One around. And this that's the area that Bernie really deserves a lot of credit for. Oh, yeah. All the criticism that you give Bernie Eccleston, what he did with the TV contracts and what that did for the sport is why the sport is what it is, the powerhouse that it is today, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. So let's not knock that. But what Chase said is that we have to navigate through broadcast agreements. There will be a process to work through with our partners to enable us to do that, and we're on that path already. In two to three years, we have well over half of the TV agreements coming into some form of renewal. We're carving out the flexibility. As we go forward, the agreements will be structured to make sure we can exploit all our rights. We're just starting to market F1. 
we're just starting to engage fans in areas like digital platforms. So we think we can create some real momentum and energy in the next couple of years. Wow. I think that's so very cool. Yeah. Now, don't start looking at your app store today. No, it, it's a few years out, and, and he acknowledges that there's some risks to take here. He says, we're going to be much more analytical about trying to evaluate the trade-off between reach and dollars. Your most valuable fans are your most passionate fans, and we actually have an incredibly important group of passionate fans around the world who love the sport. There's no question the migration in places from free to pay has an impact on audience. Almost every sport in the world is going through a migration from free to pay. Part of what we have to do is make sure it's more than free to pay. It's digital and how you engage fans across the broader spectrum of free, pay, and digital. Our goal is going to be to engage the full spectrum of video platforms. You expect to gravitate towards the pay platform over time, but we want to find the right agreements to marry that with some free over-the-air broadcasting. That is something we clearly value. That's so cool. So it is truly a holistic approach to how they, they bring this in and implement this, which is the way I think it has to be. And I'm not sure that Bernie ever wanted to look at it that way, not that he understood or cared. But that's just what we were talking about with the Ross Braun example, too. I mean, this is no different. We go, you could rewind this very podcast and listen to my motivational speech about <laughs> Ross Braun. And this is the same exact thing. And you use the same words that yep. I use holistic approach, no sacred cows, exploring all potential opportunities. That is the way you move Formula One forward. Those three things. If you don't put that on the table, you are failing the fans and you are failing Formula One as a whole. Yeah, I mean, this shows that, that Formula One group gets that improving the show is not just improving what's on the track. Right. It's improving it's a, what you deliver to the fans and how you deliver to the fans. It is, it is a full immersive experience. So the next thing I kind of wonder, and, and, and we haven't heard anything about this, but from our, our friends who have been to quite a few races, and, and um, you know, you know they, they, Formula One a couple of years ago eliminated, um, and, and NASCAR has it, it's, it's a technology called the kangaroo. Okay. Essentially, and, and some of that may be a licensing issue because I think that runs into some things that, uh, not DirecTV, the Dish Network does with their hopper. There, there may have been some copyright issues there. I don't know. But Bernie, and, and the word came out that it was Bernie that killed the service. And this was where fans who were at the track at a race were able to subscribe or pick up a device. And actually was offered by our friends over at Racing Electronics um, that allowed you sitting trackside to also have on a device and watch video streams coming from the world feed coming from the local coverage, all of those various bits, um, some of what you can get at home and some of what you could only get at the track, but see all of that stuff and, and, and view all of those feeds as opposed to being limited to that one little screen that you can get from your seat, uh, you know, the big bleacher screen and the two seconds of the car racing past you. Two whole seconds. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that Bernie had eliminated, uh, which we like over at IndyCar, is the, the being able to rent a radio 
that or a receiver that allowed you to listen to team audio and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Gotta kind of wonder if Formula One Group isn't going to take a step back and rethink that plan as well for the trackside fans. I mean, I got to tell you, it truly enhances the track experience to be able to hear the audio, specifically, even if you got nothing more than the track commentator, because um, it, well, our mm-hmm. experience with Mid-Ohio is the PA system, of, I'm sorry, sucks. Um, hey, well, it, it's all tracks. And how do you turn around and deal with a situation where it's really, really noisy and then it's not really noisy? Right. And, and and trying to adjust those balances in an outdoor environment. It's it's not really mid Ohio's fault. It's just no, it's, it's, physics. Uh, <laughs> but you know, having the combination of having a little ear protection mm-hmm. in addition to having the commentary that's going on on the track and then being able to scroll through. I mean, nothing was cooler than having the incident the wreck that happened right in front of us and immediately switching over to that team's radio yeah. and going, "Okay, what's going on?" And listening in to what was happening for them. Bouncing into race control and hearing what was going on there and all. Yeah. I mean, that was cool. That was so, it it really made the fact that what you see trackside is, you know, less than a quarter of the whole track, Mm -hmm. probably even less than a quarter. Um, That's all you get to see. And if that's all you had in front of you and a screen that might project a few things that are happening on other portions of the track, it's not the same as being like fully immersed. You feel like you're a part of the experience when you have that going on. So much so that that's one of the things that we're looking at and looking forward to when we go back. Mm -hmm. So on to another topic. Mm-hmm. Away from overall management stuff, a little, little driver news, a little driver information. Felipe Massa, you know, he, he's, he's, he retired for about 10 minutes, long enough to collect all the cool retirement gifts, and then came back. Hey, that's the way you <laughs> retire. <laughs> Williams has already come out and said that he's not getting another car from them. <laughs> <laughs> when he retires again? Yeah, he... he he got the 2016 car. He's not getting a 2017 car or another one. That That's his car. Mm-hmm. So, but Felipe has said that uh, he's willing to turn around and make this uh, a longer deal. He's more than willing to stick around in Formula One for more than just another year, which I know comes as such a huge surprise to everybody. Well, I get that, and um, that also makes sense that Williams wouldn't give him the 2017 car because, you know, maybe he wouldn't retire again. Maybe he'll have to get, like, the 2018 car or the 2019 car. Maybe he'll make it to 2020. No, I I don't think Williams is going to give him a car, but that being said, um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Over, I mean, this is just as much a message for the fans as it is for Williams um, that – you know the driver situation for next year from them, for them isn't much clearer. Right. I mean, yes, Daddy Stroll is still going to be willing to write a fairly big check. However, I I, I don't see much happening. There was talk this week because you know this is Lance's home Grand Prix. Oddly enough, Lance's home Grand Prix lived and grew up a few minutes away from downtown Montreal. But he hasn't raced in Canada in over 10 years. 
Yeah, because he in order to make it into Formula One, you have to drive the European circuit. Yeah. I mean, that's like Alexander Rossi's home race was Austin, and he'd been living in Europe since he was like 13. Yeah. Um, But there's been a lot of talk about Lance's performance. There's also been a lot of talk about Stoffel Van Dorn's performance, which I I, I don't think that's completely fair. Um, the flying waffle is not being given a fair shake. Yeah, m- my problem with Stoffel is the car's crap. Yeah. And to turn around and say, well, he's not performing. Well, okay, give him a decent car, then we'll talk. But Lance, on the other hand, has a decent car. More than that, and, and we go back to the fact that Felipe, yes, he's got a lot of experience. He got a lot of experience spread between multiple teams, and he he's he's known to have some speed there, but Lance has been on average about nine tenths slower than Felipe. Is that with or without running into a wall? Without running into walls, all things being equal, Lance is nine tenths slower than Felipe. Well, and I think that that's the same thing that's giving Stoffel bad press right now too. Is and unfortunately they've got crap cars. But he's also driving against Fernando, who is legendarily known for outdriving the crap car he's been given. He is, but Lance is not. I understand, but it's the comparison to your teammate, because the thought process is, if they've got the same car, which teammate is doing better? Lance's issue is, A, he's crashy, and B, he's not performing at Massa's level. Massa... Is not Fernando. I mean, it's he's not. I hate to say it that way. I love Massa so much more than I like Fernando. But he's not Fernando. He's a great driver. He's almost a world champion. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's phenomenal. And the expectation that he would be a little bit faster than Stroll, I wouldn't be. You know, if it was if it was not almost a second, I think that we that... would see less press about it. You then conversely look at Stoffel versus Fernando's converse. Uh, comparison Mm -hmm. fernando is pushing that car at least into q2 occasionally stoffel's not so much he didn't get out of q3 this last time and that's not just his car's fault he's still a rookie and stoffel has gotten that car into q2 he has he has and he's not running the walls the the other thing is when you're talking nine tenths down that is a lot of time it is that that does not scream fast driver. That doesn't scream to me driver with potential, nine tenths down. And I don't care who you're up against. If you're in the same car and you're nine tenths down, you're being outclassed by just about everybody. Well, I have a thick-sneaking <coughs> feeling that Stroll's issue isn't that he's not necessarily a fast driver, but that he's not a controlled driver. And bear with me on this. Because of the number of times that he's planted himself in the wall, that tells me that he's overdriving. And so if he was able to complete any of those laps where he was riding the edge, mm-hmm. he might be closer than nine-tenths of a second. Well, But the problem is if he rides the edge, he, goes over, he falls over that cliff way too easily. He's not riding the edge. He's having to pull back the, the to other, get to the edge. The other argument that, that has been thrown out there regarding Lance's performance, and, and some of it is mechanical and not necessarily his fault, but the other thing that, that's been thrown out there is that all the tracks that they have been at this year, he has never, ever 
raced at. Sure. Now, if Lance had come up through the channels and hadn't jumped over GP2, I, I think he came direct, if I remember correctly, from GP3. Mm-hmm. If he had gone into what this year is Formula 2, he would be following along and would would be at most of these tracks already. He would have had his chance to cut his teeth on this and do this stuff. The other thing that's been talked about with both Stoffel and Lance, but, but more so with Stoffel, is when you race in a junior series, because it's not so much a... Um, um, well, be, be, because those are more driver-focused championships. There aren't upgrades happening and re-engineering happening throughout the season on those cars. What you get at the start of the year is what you have at the end of the year. Those series and those teams become completely focused on building the cars out specifically around the needs and desires and style of their drivers. Mm-hmm. So they are tuned and tweaked f- to suit the driver's style. On the other hand, in Formula One, because so much variation is allowed and so much deviation is allowed, in some respects and, and in, so, it's, in some locations, those cars are completely engineered circuit to circuit to circuit. And the aerodynamic balance changes and the style changes and all of that stuff. And instead of having a car that is built and designed around them, the driver has to change their style to suit the circuit and the car that is brought to be best at that circuit. Which is what makes Formula One the pinnacle of motorsport. You can't Mm -hmm. just be a good driver to be at the top end of Formula One. You have to be an adaptable driver. Yeah. And that's a different set of skills than driving the same car 21 times. Yeah. So, Roman Grosjean, a little information about Roman's contract. If you recall, back in oh, around 2014, 2015, Roman got bumped out of his car quite a bit in free practice one. Mm-hmm. And it pissed him off mightily. You know, he gave his card to Charles Peake and Esteban Ocon in 2014 and then sat out 13 practice sessions so that Jolian Palmer could drive. Oh, wow. And Roman made no secret of the fact that he felt that that significantly hampered his performance during the year because he did not get the running in the car. He didn't get to, going back to what we just said, get as much time to figure out how the team built the car for that track. Right. Well, he decided in 2015 when he signed his new contract oh, with Haas to learn from the past. And he actually and he said he can't give any real details, but basically said he didn't want to leave the car anymore. Yeah. He did not want to give up a seat for any of this stuff. Um, he did agree to, I believe it was this week, once to, to give up his seat to allow one of the development drivers in there. But Haas's development driver, which I think is Santori, oh, Antonio Giovinazzi, um, he's going to be taking Gromont's seat once. Kevin Magnuson's car, he's taken six times. Wow. Now, Kevin was asked for comment on this and the fact that, you know, why he's getting targeted and the fact that Roman negotiated into his contract that he doesn't give up his car anymore. Kevin was like, 
I didn't think to do that. I kind of assumed that we had the same kind of contract there. I never brought up the topic. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, Roman was a little bit smarter than me. That's what happened. Well, you know, he knows better. Kevin said that uh, it's not perfect. It's not the best way, but he's not worried about it. So, yeah. I mean, that's really a tough, it's a tough piece because the teams really do need to get development drivers seat time. That's part of what they have to do. Yeah. And yet, at the same time, it does take away time from their race drivers. So, I mean, there's almost like I could make the argument, hey, you know, Ross and Chase Carey and uh, Jean Todd, um, you might want to think about this as instead of doing having that free practice one be so why don't you do a development practice? Well, the, there's been a couple of things that have been talked about. Um, the, the biggest one that they had mentioned when, when there, was, there was talk of, of changing the weekend format was having a Saturday race specifically for the test and development drivers. Put them out in the Formula One cars, make it worth like half points for the, towards the constructors, and give the, the development drivers a chance to run. I think truly what would make the most sense with this is that they roll out a third car for the teams for that, just from the perspective of you don't want your development driver binning, you know, the the car that your championship leader needs. And now the team, which would have been in a crush if the championship leader turned around and binned his car during qualifying. Now they've got even less time because this this race happened after qualifying and they broke the car. Right. So I, I think allowing the teams to roll a third car for that, I think that would be a, a pretty decent idea, and it's a way to turn around and evaluate your test drivers and your development drivers and really get to see who that up-and-coming crop is in a Formula One car. It's an interesting idea. I'd be just as happy with a development session. I mean, that, that's... But that's... Where, where the issue comes there, and, and, and the concern about the, a development session like that is that teams, the way they have done it, and I don't know how you regulate it otherwise, is they use those for test, for testing and development of the car itself. That's fine. And since in-season testing has been taken away, I, I, I'm not sure about that. They're using free practice one, two, and three for in-season testing, too. So you're going to give them development testing one of those times. You give them an hour. Yeah, it's in-season testing. That's what it is. Yes, free practices are practice sessions, but they're testing. They're doing test stuff. We know that because they change wings and front ends during that time. We know that that's what's going on. There's no need to regulate that. It's an extra... Hour on the track, I still, I agree with you. I think a third car would be appropriate for it just because let's not bin cars. Don't don't let a development driver bin a car for somebody else. Honestly, I, th- I think a race would be better because of the fact that a race turns around and let's face it, the fans are there to see racing. They're not there to see testing. So a race turns around and it, exa- it adds to the excitement of the weekend it adds to the value of the ticket you purchase for that day because it's one more thing to keep you at the track, keep you engaged. 
and it helps it, it, it helps to build some tension it helps to build some drama it has an where a, a practice session if you call it a, a one hour development driver practice whatever that has no impact on the season it truly doesn't no it doesn't but if you turn around and you make it a race and you make it even if it's half points that could in a close season change the entire direction of your constructors championship i understand that but and that's why i like that idea i don't think i want development drivers affecting the championship You've only, just added, but, but only from a constructor, tw- not the drivers. But no, but you've just added tw- 10, 11, 20, whatever the number of development driver drivers to the championship. Yeah, they might. That would be like putting ten more rookies out there on Sunday, and oh, if you're in your rookie year, you get half points. It's manufactured. These guys are not worthy of Formula One. They shouldn't be earning points, even at the constructor level, for no. Formula One. Uh, but ex- see, see, I think you're looking at the wrong way. No, I think I th- seriously, I think you're looking at the wrong way, because if you just isolate that to the constructors, you're turning around and you're saying that you need to build a car that not only your experienced drivers have to be good at. But it has to be all around good enough that even your your novices, your junior folks, can perform at a good level too. Leave the drivers' championship alone. It has nothing to do with the drivers' championship. This is and and, and by doing this and by swapping out the drivers like this, especially if they get a limited running and that they're only running for this race, it is a further way for you to prove that as a constructor, your car is better than everybody else's. I fully understand what you're trying to say i completely and utterly believe that you are wrong okay i believe you're wrong so there we go (laughs) should we talk about kimmy instead then if we're just going to move on that we're both wrong (laughs) i would agree with you except then we would both be wrong um however (laughs) i throw it to our fans okay to settle this debate do you believe that somehow having junior and development drivers affecting the constructor series is a good thing, a la Michael's argument? Or do you believe in the right argument that we should pull development drivers out of taking race seats away from current drivers fighting for championships and give them their own practice time and not affect the championship of either the constructor or the driver. Well, here, here's one other thing I'll throw out there for you to think about. Ultimately, you want to understand your and develop your test and development driver's racecraft. Correct. In a, te- in a test session or a practice session where they are turn where teams typically turn around and try and spread out the cars and avoid situations where the cars end up in traffic and and the cars are are rarely in a position where they are battling for a position how do you develop a driver's racecraft um aren't many of these development and drivers also racing in some of the junior series Aren't they also should be at the top of those? Van Dorn did not do that. Susie Wolf, for the last several years that she was the test and development driver for Williams, was not running in the junior formulas. Right, because she was a test driver for them. She was a test and development driver. 
I do not believe that at that point Susie was still developing her racecraft. But her title was test and development driver. Stoffel Van Dorn was the reserve test and development driver. He was not running in GP2. He was not running regularly in other series. That's one of the things that they were trying to figure out with him is what series they could put him in. Several of the other junior drivers around are not running in junior series. So it's not just because you've been named a test and development driver for a team doesn't mean that you're you're doing anything other than in many cases running simulator runs. Well, we know from Max that that is totally sufficient for training. So there, but I've from, undermined but your from, argument yet again. But from Lance Stoll, Lance Stroll's perspective, he proves that no simulators are not good enough. Maybe Lance, Lance is Stroll, just not who good freely enough. admits that um, the same turn that caught him out at Monaco is the same turn that was catching him out in the simulator every single time. So there, the simulator worked just fine. It predicted your race results. Okay. Let's so in other talk, words, Kimmy. you're saying if you suck in the simulator, you're just going to suck in general. There you go. My. Let, let's point remember, exact. Jensen Button managed to roll his car in Monaco in the simulator. Yes, he did. Something he'd never done before. True, and he then rolled um, Verline. He didn't roll himself. He rolled somebody else. Yeah, he just There's rolled a somebody else. There's a difference. Okay, Kimmy. so Kimi Raikkonen, the big story coming out of Monaco around Kimi, as we have discussed and everybody else has discussed, is has Ferrari gone to the, the one-two driver situation? Are they favoring one driver over another? What happened here? Mm-hmm. Well, Kimi has turned around and said that Vettel is, is not the number one driver. We, this is not sorted. We are not there yet. He says, we don't have anything when asked if there's a policy that has determined that Vettel is the number one. He says, but when it comes to that point in the season, when one guy has a chance and the other guy doesn't have a chance, it's normal. It's like it's always been in any team I've been in in Formula One. I don't have any issues with that. I think it's fair game. We fight until we can, and if we have to do something else, then fair enough. Now, he says all of this, even though we know for a fact that he was royally ticked off coming off, coming out of that race and how that played out. Yeah. I'm not sure he believes that. <laughs> Just say it. It is Kimmy. So yesterday qualifying. Mm-hmm. Very touching moment at the end. It, it, it was a blossom moment. It was a very special qualifying? Yes, it was. Well, it was a spe very special ending to the qualifying. With... Well, wait a minute. Okay. Let's just start with the fact that congratulations, Lewis Hamilton had a 65th uh, pole position, which tied his I, his growing up idol, the the man that he watched through the fence in the touching stories of he mm -hmm. watched Ayrton Senna through the fence at Silverstone with his nose pressed up against the chain link all of his life. He has strived to be as much like Ayrton as he possibly can be. Mm -hmm. So that leads us to a Will Buxton special moment at the end of qualifying. Will Buxton special moment. Well, yeah. Well, at least this time we could hear him. I know. <laughs> um, so in commemoration of 
Lewis's 65th poll, tying uh, Ayrton Senator's count for poll positions, Lewis was presented with what Will described as a race-used Ayrton Senna helmet. Okay. That is how Will described it. Not a specifically called out. This was not a replica. So there's been some questions about that, and because any helmet in particular from Ayrton Senna is worth a massive ton of money. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're super rare. There's not, there's huge value. So there's been some questions, and honestly, from the clarifications that I've seen, and this one specifically came from Autosport, I'm still not completely clear just what the heck is actually going on here. Okay. So the family apparently reached out to Autosport and several others and said that the helmet that he was given that at trackside was not an original helmet. It was a replica. Okay. Okay. Um, even though it was suggested in the presentation that the helmet given to him was an actual race-worn one, it has sub- subsequently emerged that this was not a case, not the case. Instead, the one given to Hamilton on Saturday was a replica of a 1987 helmet. The Senna family clarified to Autosport that the helmet will be given to Hamilton, uh, or excuse me, that the helmet that will be given to Hamilton is not one that was actually raced. Instead, it is one that was used for promotional purposes, such as photos and marketing appearances during the 1987 season. Made to the same specification as a race helmet and was painted by Sid Mosca and his son Alan, who are the only people who ever painted helmets for Senna in F1. With it having the same livery design as Senna used to win Monaco, it was heavily photographed at the time. So it goes on to say that the, the family took possession of the helmet in 1984, and since then it has been used in special events and exhibitions organized by the Ayrton Senna Institute, which Lewis is an official uh, ambassador of. But Lewis also posted in a video that the one that he's got now is a replica, but I believe there is a real one waiting for me somewhere, so it was a very emotional moment for me. So it's really not clear just what the heck he's getting. He's getting a helmet. Right. From the Senna family. He's getting a special gift from the Senna family. It means something. Tie that up with a bow however you want. I frankly don't care if it has Senna sweat in it or not. I care that it was an incredibly kind and sweet commemoration of both Hamilton and Senna. And their unique, though one-sided connection. Senna never knew who Hamilton was. Let's just, you know, let's be honest with it. No, I agree. But there is a unique connection and tie for those two individuals. And I think the acknowledgement specifically from the Senna family... That his, that Hamilton's both continued promotion of his love and following and support and fandom of their, their family member was very key. I think it means a lot to the Senna family that Hamilton never goes very far from, I never thought I could be like my hero. Yeah. And... (coughs) 
you know, if if you grew up following somebody that was in Formula One and became a driver and you said, well, that was my hero, but then never mentioned him again. And especially as you eclipse his record. It would be sort of a different feeling, but Hamilton constantly reminds the public that he's there because he wanted to follow in his hero's footsteps. I think from the perspective of the Senna family recognizing and applauding Lewis's accomplishment mm-hmm. is huge and really cool, and, and that I like. It, it's just I, – I don't understand how it wasn't clear to most of the folks involved in this whole thing just what it was they were giving Lewis. That That's that's where I, I'm kind of baffled and in, in, in why I bring it up. I mean – I agree. It is extremely cool that the Senna family recognized what Lewis is, has done mm-hmm. and, and that the relationship is that good. But how is it that nobody involved knew just what the hell was actually going on? Have That's you what... met most of the people that are involved with Formula One? I mean, there are like four people that know what's going on and they don't yeah. necessarily talk to each other. Yeah. Okay. Something that occurred in Monaco, and I didn't know this. So Eddie Jordan, mm-hmm. you know, the I think the best way to describe it is one of the more accurate F one pundits. Yeah, he he's not a hundred percent on, mm-hmm. but I would say his record of predictions is somewhere between sixty five to seventy five percent. He is only slightly more accurate than we are. No, he's more than slightly. No, it depends on how you define slightly. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You, you really but, need to work with me on these. But but the reality is folks talk to Eddie that will not talk to pretty much anybody else. That is very true. And I've been wondering how Eddie's predictions will start to flow as part of the reason he was so accurate was Bernie loved to talk to him. Yeah, and Bernie loved to talk to him, but so did a lot of the teams. Right. And it's, I'll be interested to see how that dynamic changes or continues with Liberty versus Bernie. Well, I, I think Bernie and Ross Braun, I mean, that's the real question is how well – not Bernie, uh, Eddie and Ross Braun is what is that relationship like? Yeah. Not that Ross is afraid to go talk to the press in his new role. But what is that relationship like as opposed to what the Eddie Jordan-Bernie-Eccleston relationship was? But even still, a lot of team owners talk with Eddie where they where they won't share as much with any other journalist. True. He, he, well, he's he speaks one of a them. Langu- yeah, he speaks a language that, that the, most journalists don't necessarily speak. So, he, you know, he hears a lot of things that others don't. Um, well, Eddie was talking to the German media this week and suggested that um, Mercedes would return to being just an engine supplier uh, after 2018. He claimed that he would make that decision if he were in charge of Mercedes and said in Monaco he put those views to uh, Dieter Zietz, the boss of Daimler, who didn't leave the impression that these were wrong. Interesting. To which... Total Wolf is he. He said that well, Monaco is a place where people like to party, and it seems like somebody did a bit too much of that. The reports are completely baseless and reflect nothing more than the mischievous speculation of one individual. 
Mercedes has firm contracts for its participation in Formula One until the end of 2020 and is currently in discussions about the next competitive cycle with the sport's new owners. Translation, go go home, Eddie, you're drunk. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, you said it is possible for Eddie to be wrong. Yeah. Whatever bar you're in, Eddie Jordan. um, Maybe he's drinking the gin and tonics with uh, David Hobbs. Yeah. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. That's that's what's being passed along to Eddie, whatever bar he's in. (laughs) So, McLaren. They're going to be the next Formula One constructor champions, aren't they? Well, no. Actually, it was a very interesting story that broke on Reuters this week. A lot of comments and words from Zach Brown. Zach had a lot to say. In a nutshell, start here. And what triggered this is Honda notified McLaren that the upgrades that they were shooting to have in place for Montreal are not ready. And that when they get the upgrades in place, they are not going to have the level of reliability that is needed. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. So what Zach had to say to Reuters, big statement here. Honda's working very hard, but they seem a bit lost. We were only told recently that they weren't that they that we wouldn't have the upgrade coming from Montreal and we don't have a definitive timeline which is concerning because the pain is great and we can't sit around forever we were eagerly awaiting this upgrade as were our drivers and it's a big disappointment that it's not coming it's not lack of effort but they are struggling to get it to come together the executive committee has now given us our marching orders we are not going into another year like this in hope I don't want to get into what our options are. Our preference is to win the world championship with Honda. But at some point, you need to make a decision as to whether that's achievable, and we have serious concerns. Missing upgrades and upgrades not delivering to the level we were told they were going to, you can only take that so long, and we're near our limit. Um, McLaren has apparent, We know McLaren has sounded out former partners Mercedes about a possible supply of engines, It will all come together, said Zach. There's lots of things that go into the decision, and we're entering that window now of which way do you go when you come to the fork in the road. Um, Brown says that the decision to partner with Honda has so far been an exclusive deal. In what has so far been an exclusive deal was 100% right. However, so far it hasn't worked. A year in Formula One is an eternity. Three years is a decade, and you just can't go on forever. When you actually look at the impact of loss of Formula One payments money and loss of sponsorship, it starts to diminish the commercial benefits of what Honda brings to the table. And when you start to net it out, it doesn't have quite the commercial benefit it might appear from the outside. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> if if ever there was a bombshell that could be dropped on a, on. An engine manufacturer, there it is. Yeah. Whoa. Now, that, as they say where I'm originally from, them's fighting words. I don't know if so much those are fighting words as um, that is the notice right there of 
figure it out, figure it out now, or we're kicking you to the curb. I know. I mean, whoa. So naturally, Honda totally agrees with Zach Brown and says, yep, we've, we, it's our bad, and we're going to fix this, and we're going to do it quickly. We've heard nothing from, from the Honda camp. Um, there, there, there's nothing. I don't know whether the Honda folks are not talking to the media this weekend, but so far we have heard nothing from the Honda camp as a response to this. Mm, that's not good. Yeah. Well, there, there's a lot of not good. I mean, just the fact that Honda didn't have that upgrade ready. That is an issue in its own right. But, yeah, they're, they're hiding from this. Did I not turn around and say, well, actually, before we even get to that, we, we've got a little more stuff. Zach Brown talked to, to Five Live, and, and probably the end of the weekend, you'll, I'm guessing you'll hear Zach's comments uh, on their post-race podcast. But Zach spoke to BBC Radio 5 Live. He said, we're starting to work on 2018's car. 2018 will be here shortly. That's just been announced that 2018 will be coming after 2017, in case you were wondering. So That is but. in the same <laughs> calendar that is yet to be published that confirms that Christmas will be on December 25th and Valentine's Day will be on February 14th. Yeah, but but it's looking promising that that's, that's what's going to That is what all out. talk is, yeah. that we are going to continue that tradition, but it's always up in the air and subject to change. But, but back to Zach Brown. He said, we need to make any decisions that impact 18 by the summer break. We have a plan B. We have a plan C. We're friends with everybody up and down the pit lane. So we have coffee and chat about a variety of things. So we're all right. He says, right now the plan is to have the Honda in the back of the car, but some things need to happen between now and then for us to have the confidence that we can be at the front of the field next year. So we're working hard on it. So, yeah. They're going to have a Mercedes that's badged as a Honda? <laughs> Honestly... I think there's two potential snares. You know, the one that everybody keeps talking is Mercedes because Honda, or excuse me, because McLaren has been the Mercedes, I mean, they were the works team for, for years until Mercedes brought back their works team. Mm -hmm. There is been a very close relationship between McLaren and Mercedes for many, many years, both on the road car side and, and on the F1 side. But here's something I'll throw out to you. Just, just as a, you know, one of those oddball spitballs. Okay, okay. so we've seen the, these engines get dropped in, the white Bakta engine branded as somebody else. What if McLaren went a different direction? Stefano Domenicali, not, yeah, Stefano Domenicali. Okay. No, not Domenicali. Sergio Marchionne, that's it. That's what I'm thinking. Domenicali's gone. I'm like, okay. Sergio Mar Marchionne, the head of the Fiat Chrysler Group mm -hmm. and overall head of the Ferrari Group as well, has said that he wants Alpha back in Formula One. Interesting. So what if instead of going to Mercedes, which I'm pretty sure that if – McLaren went crawling to Mercedes for an engine mm -hmm. that the terms aren't going to be great for McLaren. What if instead they went to Ferrari and Ferrari offered up to them? Now, knowing Ferrari, it would be a previous year engine. But what if Ferrari offered up to them a rebadged Ferrari engine as an Alfa Romeo? That's an interesting idea. 
So I mean, it's 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 a possibility. We know that Honda will be going to Sauber, so Honda doesn't lose a spot in the sport that way. And and the thing with Sauber, and and, and this is what Honda gets from if you think about it. So it, it would not surprise me if Monish has already picked up the phone and called Honda and said, you know, look, if you make us the um, the your works team. Mm-hmm. You know, where you're giving McLaren a hundred million dollars, we'll take fifty million dollars. We'll take whatever drivers you want to put in into these seats. If you're giving us free engines, we'll take fifty million dollars. We'll take whatever drivers you want to put in these seats. And oh, by the way, we won't give you any pressure to win whatsoever. Exactly, because we're not expected to win. <laughs> exactly. All pressure's off at that point. I could see Manisha doing that. Well, yeah. You gonna pop out the sad Monisha face? No, we're not gonna do that this week. But okay. So, all right. So now we have Eddie predicting that Han um, that Mercedes is leaving. We have Zach Brown saying they're at a crossroads with Honda. Honda's been uniquely silent. We've made predictions as to what engine they might have in the McLaren in upcoming years. So. The only thing I can think of is that we need to have a weigh-in by, you know, their mouthy driver, right? Well, but before we even get to that weigh-in, there, Zach also made some comments that says that they're not 100% down on Honda yet. Oh, okay. Because going back to Memorial Day weekend in the Indy 500, Fernando had a chance. And the Honda engines being run in IndyCar are was still a Honda that won. It was still an Andretti Autosport car that won the Indy 500. Mm-hmm. And McLaren got a huge amount of publicity for running in that race. Yeah. So Zach has said that, you know, they would be open to continuing the partnership with Andretti Herder Racing. Oh, and since we know that Andretti Herta is not, at least na- at this point, talking about ditching Honda, there's still some skin in the game here. Well, there is, but we also know that the Indy Honda is built here in the States mm-hmm. by the racing different group, by a different group, which I still think is what Honda needs to do is pick up the phone and call that group and go, how do you get an engine to work? Yeah. And... The the other thing to, to roll around in your mind, you know, it, it's it's been a while since McLaren has won. It's been, what, 2012 it was the last McLaren victory. Possibly with Lewis behind the wheel. This weekend, McLaren returned to their winning ways. Now, you're trying to figure this out because as we record, the race hasn't happened. But McLaren has returned to their winning ways this weekend. What did they win? This weekend, Liberty Media, and they partnered with Red Bull to do this, but Liberty Media and Red Bull revived an event that had been a regular part of the Canadian Grand Prix weekend until the late 1990s. What used to happen in the 1990s is um, the teams used to hold a raft race at the Canadian Grand Prix. Because if you recall, the, the the site for the Canadian Grand Prix was the Olympic Park from Montreal. Mm-hmm. One of the areas, and you can see it very clearly in the overhead shots, one of the areas that is right over there is the um, the 
waterway that was used for the the water the, the kayaking and, and and those races well they used to have part of the f1 weekends a raft race they have restarted that this year now the way this works is teams are given and and it's the it's not the full race teams it's the mechanics are, are given essentially an hour and a stack of a pallet full of materials to build a raft and race it oh that's so cool so this year's participants were um all the teams with the exception of ferrari mercedes and force india um, they were joined by several rival teams including one from the fia one led by ross braun one from fans and one from commercial chief sean bratches um the whole contest was overseen by charlie whiting oh my mclaren won wow they dominated the whole thing well see that just proves that they don't need an engine <laughs> now they did have a ringer their effort was helped by olympic rowing medalist tom stallard but they led from the start and was dominant on the race across the olympic rowing lake and back second place went to toro rosso with third coming in third uh going to sauber see they're competitive there you go. Wow. I, I'm impressed. <laughs> Too bad that doesn't mean constructor's points. But, I mean, good on you for Formula One management and Red Bull for doing it. And I had seen, I didn't know that they were they were getting ready to do this. Red Bull had sent us some video of uh, Max and Daniel and several folks from the team doing some rafting in the build-up to this week. They went around Canada getting them in the wetsuits and all that stuff and going going out and rafting. Apparently, it was related to this, but I didn't know that. But they, they had sent us some, some video of that. Very interesting. So, to Fernando. Okay. So, first we had Zach's comments. Mm -hmm. Fernando was asked about his future. Yeah. Because as we predicted... Stay tuned for what happens after after Fernando driving in the 500 and having yet another Honda engine blow up on him. Um, what Fernando had to say, he said, we have to win. If we are winning before September or something like that, I will make a decision and I will stay. Now let's think about this. Given where this car has been, how realistic that this car is going to win a race before September. Well, I mean, it is, yes, it is statistically possible, possible that yep. Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, Force India, um, Toro Rosso, Williams. I mean, it could rain. Everybody but Sauber blows up. It, it, it could rain, and we could have a massive wreck at the very last lap in Suzuka, and the last car standing could be a Honda. Mm-hmm. I mean— Yes, it's it possible. It is not going to be because of performance. It's going to be because of massive catastrophe from other cars. Yeah. That is the prediction on how that would happen. Yeah. And Fernando did say that he felt that this weekend, the and, and he said this after qualifying, I have, to, I have to throw that out there, after qualifying, even though he qualified in 12th, that he thought that the McLaren Honda was very, very competitive in Canada. Despite the fact that it's like 20 miles an hour slower than everybody else's, it's very competitive. He's been spending too much time around Jensen, bud. 
Well, you know, it's about time he started drinking Kool-Aid. Well, you know, I will remind you that it was last year in Montreal that uh, we heard Fernando on the radio complaining about the engine. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens again. But I think it is extremely unlikely, based on those words, that Fernando is going to remain at McLaren for 2018. I don't know. I mean, I could definitely see that, but we also heard that Fernando wasn't interested in trying to do a full season of Indy. Well, we heard that, and then interestingly enough, last night at, um, well, during the NBC broadcast of the Texas IndyCar race, Mm -hmm. they brought him on. Live from Montreal, they had on Fernando Alonso. And Fernando was asked by the host if he might consider a full-time switch to IndyCar after F1, to which Fernando replied, why not? He says, I'm more ready to do F1, trying to find the best car possible out there. I would look at different options. He says, Indy 500 would be the first priority for the Triple Crown, but a full season another time? Why not? Wow. Now, that that's interesting because initially this week he was asked about going to IndyCar next year, and he said no, he's not ready. Um, he said that uh, it, it's a lot of work and a lot of preparation to run an IndyCar for a full season, even though it's a shorter season. But doing all of that stuff, he doesn't believe that he's ready for it, and the guys who are in there, they're the best, and they he doesn't think he's up to their level. Interesting. That's the most humble statement I've ever heard Fernando say. Yeah. He says, watching the race now, these guys, they are the best guys. I have to learn many things to do one race. I need to learn so many more to do the whole season. But when he was asked, uh, they pushed him a little further for about next year. He said that, well, I'm very open to anything. I don't have a clear answer right now. I would be lying if I told you I know what would happen next year. Wow. Now, did you hear what happened in that IndyCar race? Actually, I didn't. Well, there are multiple stories that saying that IndyCar race last night was the wild, wild west. Apparently, it's um, it's an oval with this high-banked oval yeah, track. Yeah, and the, the Texas Motor Speedway, because that's where it was at, mm-hmm. was, and, and I don't know all the details. I know that there were there was a lot of work done in the off season um for this year and there were changes made to to the track so it's something about 178 laps ish mm-hmm. um which is fine but 66 of them were done under caution interesting better than that on lap 152 there was an incident that happened that will probably be talked about for a long time so if you have not seen it you might want to go back and look at it okay however so the crash that happened was between uh, uh tony Kanan, james hinchcliffe and michael elotion mm-hmm. um they went three wide on the high banked oval and Kanan hit and there was a, a downstream chain reaction of nine cars wow now Kanan was able to continue but was levied with a 20 second penalty that put him uh three seconds through two laps down however in order to clean up the nine car mess fortunately nobody was hurt they were red flagged for 30 minutes 
Mm. So 66 laps under a caution, red flagged for 30 minutes. The best, best statement at the very end of this was, to be honest, because I wanted, I, the guy starts off with, I was really PO'd, to be honest, because I just wanted it to end. <laughs> <laughs> Just make this thing go away. That was it. Was and this is a late race too. So yeah, it's that a night help. race. It was. It it looked like it was an utter and complete mess. Our favorite driver and uh, you know supporter of that we support of him, Alexander Rossi, only made it thirty five laps. Mm. Um, I mean that was very very rough. However, Rossi is currently ninth in the series. Very cool. And our boy Max is 11th. All right. So, so Max isn't, Max isn't being completely outclassed. Definitely not being completely outclassed. Actually, he's holding his own pretty nicely. He's only within a couple of points of James Hinchcliffe, and that would put him in the top 10. Um, there's a decent gap between Hinchcliffe and Rossi um, of about 30 so points. And Rossi is a not even 70 points down from the, the series leader of Scott Dixon. So, I mean, I think it's a pretty tight group of people. But the names within the top 10 where Alexander Rossi is playing in this space are all indie veterans. So they've all been playing and driving in IndyCar for a lot of years. And here we've got two first year out of their rookie seasons competing up and right at their level i think that's pretty big you know more than that i mean they were both of them led the indy 500 for a significant period of time both of them had a had a good stretch of looking to have won the indy 500 this year mm-hmm. it yeah it, they're they're definitely showing well in the series which i think is always a good thing because you know there's that part of me that wanted fernando to do really well at the 500 because we're indycar we're formula one fans at our core we want our drivers to show that they are really good and they're not just good because they have great cars they're good drivers too well back to formula one because we're not completely done yet um some changes happened at the circuit for this weekend um one of them uh, and, and you may have already heard a little bit about this during the uh, um, the, the race buildup and qualifying. Uh, changes were made to turn nine. And this, this really kind of bothers me that they did this. That's th- the third chicane, which used to be sided on one side by a wall and the other side by grass. They've paved over the grass. No. So they have made further changes to try and keep folks from shortcutting the chicane very similar to what they did over at the uh end of the track uh by putting in the the higher curbs and the bollard that if you go over you have to go around the bollard and all that stuff they sent a note to the teams to letting them know that any driver who fails to negotiate turn nine by using the track and who passes complete passes completely to the left of the orange curb element on the apex of the corner must keep completely to the left of the orange speed bump on the exit of the corner and rejoin the track at the far end of the asphalt runoff area. The only time when drivers will not have to comply with these requirements is if they have been forced off the track by a rival. Okay. But there are other changes that have occurred 
uh, this weekend. For the first time ever, and, and, and finding out about this through Twitter, but for the first time ever, Formula One Group is offering at the track, and they're doing it, I don't know if it's at every grandstands or at select grandstands, but at, at least some of the grandstands and in the public area, they are offering free Wi-Fi. And the word is that the Wi-Fi is actually pretty fast. Um, there's notes that are posted around at least over at grandstand number 12 that says, let me pull it up again. Um, Formula One management are undertaking a trial of a Wi-Fi service for Formula One fans. Please feel free to connect to the free Wi-Fi service available within this grandstand and associated public area to access the official Formula One app, video content, and your favorite social media. We would be grateful if you, would if you could provide your feedback of the service via the link on the sign-on screen. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Because you know that's not something Bernie would have gone for. I know. However, um, this is when worlds collide. Um, so it is possible mm -hmm. that when organizations or venues offer free Wi-Fi, one of the things that they are doing is the ability to do some reverse Wi-Fi um, IP lookup. Oh, they're gathering, gathering, gathering a lot, a of, lot of data about you mm -hmm. while you do that. Now, I'm going to say this very carefully. This is not a case where I have, you know, a tinfoil hat and secret listeners and all of that. This is not bad stuff, but it is a way that Formula One can learn who's actually at the track. Well, it's more than just that. And for some, like Apple system, I don't even believe you need to join a Wi-Fi network at that area. Just if your device is broadcasting Wi-Fi with their beacons, they can track the devices, whether you join a network or not. There's a lot of things that can be done. I mean, a lot of really cool high-tech things. Mm -hmm. This is the same systems that are being used in conferences yep. where they're tracking um, walking patterns because one of the things with conferences is where booth locations should be and things like that. So walking patterns get, mm -hmm. get tracked. They're looking at anything that they can attach. Um, to a person to know who is sitting in their stands at any time and also a little bit about what are you doing yeah. if you are not focused on track action but you're surfing facebook they can know some of that stuff it's not personal information if they don't want to know all of your bank account information they're not looking to be tinfoil hat big brothery and they're looking at that data in aggregate so john doe that's in grandstand 12 they don't know anything about you personally but what they're looking for is what are path movements? What are people doing? When do they get up to go to, to get refreshments? When are those times? Because it yeah. enhances fan experience. But, but it also gives them um, an idea of during a race, what are fans doing with their devices and how are, how are they doing it? Are they going to the F1 app and using the F1 app to provide supplemental coverage and give them information that they can't get trackside? Mm -hmm. Are they going to Twitter and tweeting a lot about it? Are they going to, you know, Sky's website or wherever, you know, wherever they can possibly get some live coverage? And who are they going to and how long are they spending that time there um, to figure out what they can possibly change? Exactly. 
this is cool. This is a very first step in market research that they can use to leverage for future um, fan experience changes. This is something that Bernie was too narrow-minded to have even considered. Yeah. So go for our marketing geniuses and head eyebrows. The the other thing that, um, as we've been going through the last couple of bits and, and poking around, we have discovered that the raft race that occurred post-qualifying, uh, Formula One group actually uh, published up on YouTube. So we will have a link to it so you can check it out and see what's going on. Uh, just in scrolling through the team's various social media feeds, um, it was kind of out of control. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are pictures of a very, very wet Christian Horner holding a super soaker, um, among other things. Apparently, there were a lot of water guns. Yes. Um, so I, I think I'm going to have to watch that in its entirety. You never know. You could see a soaking wet, I don't know, some, you know, Valtteri maybe. I don't believe drivers were involved. Based on what we saw, it was not a driver event. Well, you never know who you could see soaking wet. And then our last story. You know, we've been talking about the pinnacle of autosport. We've talked about driver development. Well, now we're going to go all the way back to where many drivers start. In the karting world. Not big wheels. In the karting world. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Max started in his garden. Does that count? <laughs> no, he started karting. And it, it, yes, he started in the garden, but he started driving a cart in the garden. <laughs> um, if you didn't know this, Fernando Alonso owns a karting track in Spain. Um, it is uh, in Oviedo, Spain, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Which, by the way, besides the cart track that's there, there's also the Fernando Museum. With all of his cars. Yes. I, I've actually heard it's a pretty cool place, if for nothing else, because of all the cars. That that it, it's it's kind of neat to see that evolution of cars and all of that. It's supposed to be kind of a cool place. Well, this weekend, uh, Alonso Circuit is hosting the CIK FIA European Championship, which is the most prestigious event that the track has ever hosted in its history. One of the teams that that is participating is the team that belongs to, and actually I believe he's actually driving in it, former Formula One driver and relative of Michael Schumacher, Ralph Schumacher. Oh. Um, Ralph's a little upset. Why is Ralph? Ralph's a lot upset, actually. Um, Ralph says that he has warned officials about the track earlier in the year in testing. He says, I'm very disappointed about this race because we face a very unusual situation. He says, and, and this is, he shared this on... Uh, the team's Facebook page. He says, for the first time since I joined karting again, it feels totally wrong to race at a track like this. Don't get me wrong, but I was trying to explain back in January after testing here for three days that the layout of the track is not one we should be racing on at a CIK or FIA level. Now we are here and we destroy more material than you could imagine. This race is going to cost a fortune for all participants and only because a decision has been taken by people that don't understand the needs of karting. On top of that, we risk the health of our drivers, which again is unbelievable. We can only hope that people start to listen to the teams so that we can avoid this in the future. 
Wow. So Fernando's position is that um, he says, first of all, I think Ralph needs some publicity. He has mm-hmm. been so many years now out of the first page, and he wants to take benefit of this. He thinks that uh, he said he saw Ralph's comments and he broke some chains and tires and axles. He says, I think he needs to tell his drivers to drive on the asphalt. That's the first thing, because all the other teams are okay. Only his team is maybe run out of money. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. That's um interesting response from the track owner. Yeah. It's not my problem. You obviously can't drive. Yeah. Tell your driver, stay on the asphalt. <laughs> wow. All right. Is there? Do we have anything else that's going on that we need to talk about? No, that's it this weekend. Um, since this will probably get published post-race, uh, let's hope we've got a good one on our hands. It's shaping up to be. We have a mixed front row with a mixed back row. I, I'm kind of partial to the Mercedes Ferrari Mercedes Ferrari combination. M- Mercedes went this weekend because you know the, the, one of the questions this weekend is: Are, are there going to be seagulls interfering with the race again? <laughs> so Mercedes on I think it was Wednesday was doing a track walk and they got to turn one and saw a couple of cones were on the side of the road. So Mercedes very cheekily turned around and dropped the cones on turn one in the approximate position of where the seagulls were and went and took a picture of it and posted it up on Facebook that, you know, no seagulls this year, but instead it looks like there's cones. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if uh, Sebastian is as much a cone lover as he is an animal lover yeah. <laughs> and uh, decided that, you know, he was distracted on that turn because of the seagulls. Yeah. And wanting to not hit the seagulls. Um, I think that that's very key. But um, I wish everybody a very good start, a very safe race, but I hope for a very exciting one. This should prove to be very interesting considering with the long straight. It's been the heat's falling out of the tires during the straights and they have to recover it back in the corners. And that's going to be an interesting thing to see how that dynamic shifts in the race today. And... Uh... You know, on that... You have to weigh in on the argument of development drivers in their place in the race. Do you vote for Team Michael or Team Me? Oh, we're going that route? Oh, yes. Oh, wow. oh, this is We're doubling down on this one. You're wrong, and I'm going to prove it. All right. Well, and as a reminder, we will be off next week, so we will see you in two weeks. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Is is everybody gone? (laughs) Huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.